What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show, one that is different from any other. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. You know me, Hayden. Typically, when I try to review these games, I say, hey, if this team is going to be successful, they're going to look like this. They're going to do this. Another team, they have these deficiencies. This week, it's all about getting the news correct and pivoting to players who are actually going to be on the field. Is that kind of a summarization, summarization of what we might expect from today's show? Yeah, after this podcast, I have a flight to Cleveland. I have a tryout to play slot receiver for the brand this week. And if I don't get that job, I'll go over to Washington, see if I can go play D. And I mean, everyone's just hurt. So yeah. especially on like Thursday football, if like you're like, ah, oh, do I want to play Mike Williams tonight? Yes. Yes, you do. He's playing. You're playing him. That That's really good advice because typically... You know, people have decisions to make between players that might play on Thursday night. Now we have Saturday night games versus to wait on someone for Sunday. You simply cannot wait on Sunday right now. You you, yeah. you can't do it. So that is one way to decide these 50-50 plays. Um, also, all of you who are in the chat here with us live, thanks for being here. You never met more to each other than now. So answer each other's questions, set each other's lineups. I'm glad you're all joining us here on this very show. All right. You can go and check out Hayden's fantasy blueprint, which is up on underblog.underdogfantasy.com. As always, he'll spam it in the chat as well. We'll go through the Saturday games, the Sunday games, and the Monday games. So Hayden, why don't we start it off with the Las Vegas Raiders, who at this point, I believe, and this is all changing by the minute, are three and a half point favorites <laughs> against the Cleveland Browns, a measly total of 38 and a half. Why is this constantly changing? Well, about 15 minutes before we went live, Case Keenum was in line to start this game, and now Case Keenum has tested positive for COVID, leaving Nick Mullins, yes, that he of 49ers fame to start in this game, also out for the Cleveland Browns. Head coach Kevin Stefanski, Baker Mayfield, John Johnson, safety, who paid a boatload of money to. Cornerback Troy Hill paid a boatload of money to. Malik McDowell, an interior defensive lineman for them. You throw in Austin Hooper, Wyatt Teller, one of the best guards in the NFL, and left tackle and Jedrick Wills. A mash unit out there for what the Browns are going to sport and deploy against the Las Vegas Raiders. So backup offensive line, backup quarterbacks, and then that backup's backup. 
backup play callers. Uh, Jarvis Landry out. I mean, everyone's out. David Njoku's back, though. That's good news. Uh, <laughs> Nick Chubb is healthy. We had that classic full Chubb quote from, I think, Case Keenum, who's out. So I think what's going to happen here is they're going to play very slow. They're going to give the ball to Nick Chubb 20 times on the ground. I'm going on, on a record. I think he's going to set a career high in receptions this week. Mm-hmm. I have him as a top five running back. They literally do not have anybody else to throw the ball to. It's Donovan Peoples-Jones, David Njoku, and Nick Chubb. Everybody else that's going to be in the lineup, you basically have not heard of. Uh, Dearness Johnson, those types. I don't see, even with all the stuff, Nick Chubb just going to get more volume than most running backs on the slate, and I think he's good enough to overcome some of this environment, especially against the Raiders. Very worried because so much of rushing success comes from run blocking. And we already know that without Jack Conklin at right tackle, Jedrick Wills at left tackle, now Wyatt Teller at one of the guard spots as well, that's going to impact it. Now, can Nick Chubb, who, and bringing up the Raiders' absences here, no Darren Waller and no Denzel Perryman, who is their best run-stuffing linebacker as well. So... Is this going to be the 20-touch, no-matter-what Nick Chubb game? Yes. Could it be the 30-touch, no-matter-what Nick Chubb game? Yes. We also saw last week for the Browns that without David Njoku and I think another tight end, they really, really got Austin Hooper involved, and he's out for this one, too, with Jarvis Landry, as you mentioned. So I don't even know who they can throw the football to other than handing it off to Nick Chubb over and over and over again, and I wouldn't be surprised if they try and force the Raiders into heavy boxes and just say, Hey, our offensive line coaching is going to beat your defensive box coaching. And then we're going to gas you with a long Nick Chubb run of 30, 40, 50 yards. Hopefully. And that's the difference here. Yep. On the other side of the ball, it is officially Hunter Renfro season top 10 in half PPR top 10 in expected half PPR. Um, over the last month, Darren Waller still out. They do not have anybody else to throw the ball to. And I think like the big thing is since John Gruden's left. They have no Darren Darren Waller. They have no Henry Ruggs. The offense right now is all underneath passes. And it's even more so the last couple weeks because they've been trailing. So Hunter Renfro, it's just an offense where the ball has to go somewhere. Even in these the worst games ever, the ball has to go somewhere. And I think that Darren Waller or Hunter Renfro is the main beneficiary to this. And I have him ranked very high, top 15 wide receiver. It's going to be an ugly game, but Derek Carr is good by himself, and there's still so many injuries on the Browns' defense, too. Yeah. I know the ticker down below says one and a half. That's what it was 20 minutes ago when I made these. Uh, If the Raiders can't win this game, again, with how decimated the Browns are, but look at what they're on the heels of. An absolute blowout loss to the Kansas City Chiefs where Josh Jacobs fumbles immediately. The Raiders have no excuse here. And I know that they're a very different team as you just outlined versus what they were, you know, five, six, seven weeks ago. But there should be enough here. There should be enough here for them to carry it out. I even saw, and I tried to find the source of this information. One person cited CBS Sports Radio saying that inside the Raiders organization, they want to see what Marcus Mariota has to potentially keep on to him after this this week and this year. And maybe that means a lack of snaps for Derek Carr at some point if things go awry here. Just throwing it out there as another potential wrench in the equation we have for week 15 and moving on. I, I think it wouldn't be that shocking if they traded Derek Carr this offseason and go full-blown rebuild. But, I mean, you can't bench him. Like, that's nuts to me. I know, like, Marcus Mariota's fine, but, like, Derek Carr is, like, a legit franchise quarterback, not, like, an elite ceiling guy, but, like, 
he can play. So I, I think that would be nonsense, but I've seen worse things. Raiders have scored, and maybe this is why, fewer than 17 points in each of their five losses dating back to their week eight bye. Uh, it's uh, it's rough stuff out there. Anything else we want to say about this game? Again, so much of the show is going to be talking about who was out, who picks up the slack, where the production is going to trickle down to, and what that means overall for the team. So hopefully we got it there. And I think you and I's answer is Hunter Renfro and most importantly, 20-touch Nick Chubb. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, next up, Saturday night. Patriots, Colts, with, yes, the Colts as two-and-a-half-point favorites here at home, a total of 45. It's interesting. Last time we saw the Patriots out here, they only threw the ball three times. They were able to gash the opposition in the running game. Long runs by Damon Harris, who's been limited all week with a hamstring injury, Brandon Bolden, a knee injury, Ramondre Stevenson, fully healthy, heading into this one. My eyebrow raised a little bit, Hayden, with the Colts being tagged as two-and-a-half-point home favorites here because their offense and their explosive plays and their playmakers are so narrow. Doesn't that feed directly into Bill Belichick and how he calls his defense? I completely agree. The Patriots are my underdog of the week. I was surprised that they were dogs here. They are pretty healthy. Uh, The one thing with Damian Harris for fantasy is the Patriots, more so than anybody, list as many guys as possible as limited in practice and as many guys as possible as questionable. So I think if Damian Harris is active, I think he's like legitimately active. This is not like a situation uh, where like we don't know his true health. Like I think like they just play these games to keep it up in the air. But I think that Damian Harris is going to be back. I think he's going to be a starter. I think he has legitimate upside here, especially in this type of week. The Colts defense is fine. Uh, right. DeForest Buckner, the linebackers are all fine. I think the the big thing is I think they the Patriots, if they wanted to pass the ball a little bit, I think that they can kind of do that because the Colts secondary has not been fine. They've been pretty bad. So I think really like the big thing for this week in this game, it's the pace. The Colts are dead last in neutral pace. The Patriots are 25th in pace. Both teams want to run the ball. So I think that this is going to be a pretty low ceiling game. But if it comes to last score, who's going to win? I trust Mac Jones and Josh McDaniels more so than I trust Carson Wentz against Bill Belichick. How you define the Colts defense as fine, I think is totally right. Now, they get amplified their success because they also lead the NFL in takeaways this season. I mean, Kenny Moore, the slot corner, is one of the best, one of the best in the NFL at doing all of that. And so is Darius Leonard with that peanut punch, as you just outlined. But also in the Colts defense, they're 21st in explosive runs allowed. They are 26th in yards per carry, per carry allowed. And that's while facing the third easiest schedule of opposing run offenses. They have not faced a team like the Patriots. I, I even put this in the Slack with you and Rudman. How many teams are built to stop what the Patriots do well at this moment? Because as we've discussed, rosters were not built this way in the last two to three years across the league. Six offensive linemen bullies moving you off the spot. And yes, DeForest Buckner's awesome. Grover Stewart's a pretty good player. They've got some pass rushers as well. Again, they're very advantageous taking the football away. But the Patriots don't give you any turnovers. If Damon Harris doesn't fumble, if Ramondre Stevenson doesn't fumble, and they carry out their game plan and like the vision that Bill Belichick puts out there, and maybe most importantly, Hayden, when you understand how like Jonathan Taylor preventing him from long runs, Michael Pittman rolling coverages or sticking J.C. Jackson on him, at some point, and this is really simplifying it, 
Isn't that all they have to worry about? Yeah, and I think going back to the point of just like the variance in in turnovers, like a defense that's allowing a lot of yards and is getting lucky turnovers, like I want to bet against those units whenever I can, especially when it's not like, oh, the pass rush is is causing interceptions. It's like, no, it's like the running backs are just fumbling against the Colts. Like, sign me up. I don't think that's going to be a problem for for Damian Harris and company. So I think on the other side of the ball, this is where like I I really had the issues with the Colts. The Colts, and we discussed this before, it is everything goes through Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman. After that, it's the the tight ends. It's a Zach Pascal. It's a T.Y. Hilton. And historically, the Patriots and their man match defense are taking away the number one receiver. So I'm not benching Michael Pittman because his usage has been so good. They still give him screens. He's still the primary guy in the red zone. But if it's not going to be like a bunch of first downs through Pittman, and they're going to take away that. I find it just a little bit hard for the Colts to reach their 24-point team total. I thought that was a point or two uh, a little high, and I'm I'm not benching Michael Pittman, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's more of like a wide receiver three than like an upside wide receiver two this week. And, and there's multiple ways, again, that Belichick can do this. Again, he can stick J.C. Jackson on him and put focus and spotlight other people, or they can bracket Michael Pittman and have JC Jackson occupy whoever else they want on the field. And then that's not even talking about some really good pass rushers in the interior and Christian Barmore on the outside. Obviously what this team has as well. My biggest fear is going back to their matchup with the Patriots one easily against the Tennessee Titans and seeing Dontro Hilliard and Deontay Foreman, both rack up chunk gain after chunk gain after chunk gain in the running game against against the Patriots. And I can't define why, like no one is really doing that doing new England so far. I guarantee you the Colts went back and looked at what the success was and why it happened. And if like Jonathan Taylor, this is a huge number, but this is why I'm saying it. If he gets up to 150 rushing yards to me, that's a signal that the Colts are dominating this game or controlling this game. And that means they're going to win it. Yeah. This is just an issue of going back to the pace, 25th in pace, 32nd in pace. And it's just hard to find ceiling outcomes aside from Jonathan Taylor in this game. I think really it's just Michael Pittman. It's Jonathan Taylor. It's Damian Harris. And then everybody else in this game probably should go on your fantasy bench, including uh, Ramondre Stevenson. Remember before Damian got hurt, uh, this was where they kept using Damian Harris early on. So unless there's injury news on Saturday, I think I'm going to be ranking Damian Harris comfortably ahead of Ramondre. Difference in Carson Wentz here this season, too. Last year, had 15 interceptions and 10 fumbles. This year, just five interceptions and seven fumbles. And one final note, because I feel like we always have to do this with Jonathan Taylor. According to NFL research, he's the first player with 1,300-plus rushing yards and 16-plus rushing touchdowns through that team's first 13 games since LaDainian Tomlinson did it in 2006. And that LT won MVP that year. Game has changed in the last 15 years. But whenever you put Jonathan Taylor, this is a historic fantasy season that he's putting out there. And I just want us to always, always remember that. All right. Now, can the fancy graphic. Thanks to Luke, because we head to Sunday. One o'clock slate. Let's start off, Hayden, with this game. A little change up on you. Houston Texans, Jacksonville Jaguars. Yes, Jaguars as five-point favorites. That has moved from the three and a half that they opened with because they have fired head coach Urban Meyer. 
your immediate thoughts beyond necessary they need to do this forever ago uh the team or the the team total goes up a point the point spreads up a point and a half all the way up to uh jaguars minus five since the news which might be the first time ever we've seen this with a coaching staff change where they actually gain points uh just shows you how much of an abomination this urban meyer uh role was um darren bevel just talking about him what he does a lot of downfield passing he's also kind of a player's coach and i think there was some quotes talking about what they're going to do with james robinson i'm going to give you a big time wavos underdog or benji of the week and i'm going to go pick james robinson here i think he's going to have the legit rb1 role it's been a lucrative role we have never seen the jaguars lead games we know how bad the texans are on run defense and i'm going to go back and i'm ranked James Robinson pretty aggressively. The media asked Bevel about James Robinson, and he said he's unquestionably our our starting running back. Hayden, get out of my Twitter feed, buddy. I said the exact same thing 30 minutes ago. I understand this, and this is why. If you go back and watch the Houston Texans last week, they put Rashad Penny out in the spotlight. Their run fits versus Rashad Penny were brutal. They were dire. They were obscene. It's defined as... You know it when you see it. Obscene. It's the Texans' run spits. And now they're without Kamu Grugier-Hill. They're without Christian Kirksey, two of their linebackers. You know, they cut Zach Cunningham a couple weeks ago. If, and it's a big question because we really haven't seen it in quite some time. If this team gives James Robinson, I don't know, 20, 23 touches as a you know combined total, 100 yards is absolutely in the range of outcomes here because we know that, and I actually like the over in total for this game in general, Hayden, because we know that Urban Meyer's fingerprints, if they were on anything in this organization, it was on the offensive side of the ball. It wasn't on the defensive side. The defense is still going to suck for the Jaguars. And so I could see Houston scoring points. I could see Jacksonville scoring points. And this just being 39 and a half out there, boom. Love that one. Love the over here. I promise I didn't see your tweet. I wasn't writing this. I, I'm shocked that we act, actually both picked James Robinson, but I love that for us. On the other side of the ball, Josh Allen still not practicing. Miles Jack still not practicing. They have other issues um, on the Jaguars side. So I'm, I'm with you. I think that Davis Mills can move the ball a little bit. They're getting Nico Collins involved. He's a full-time player, more of a shot player. Brandon Cooks, I have uh, ranked pretty aggressively because he's healthy and he's playing this Jaguars team that is absolutely ridiculous in, uh, in the secondary right now. So I'm with you. This is an ugly game, but I wonder if this is going to be an ugly, not high scoring game, but like at least a functional watchable contest, despite how bad the records are. I'm very curious to see if the Jaguars like come out, just like throwing the ball deep. It's just like Marvin Jones downfield again. I went back and watched some Trevor Lawrence this morning because I just was hoping to see something that would give me some life for this game and what defenses are doing is blitzing him relentlessly. And it's not to, you know, throw Trevor Lawrence off kilter. It's because that offensive line can't handle it. Like that offensive line in pass per right now is so freaking brutal. And so that's allowing so often Trevor Lawrence 1v1 or when they are flush to the outside, he's climbing it. And then there's immediate interior disruption as well. And part of that Hayden is that defenses are able to just play considerably off coverage because there's zero threat going vertically, going downfield. 
Laquan Treadwell was a damn vertical receiver last time that they were on the field. And so then on the underneath passes, when Trevor Lawrence is able to get them off, they just drive on them for like three, four yard gains. The lack of a vertical piece, a vertical playmaker is really, really hurting any defense to remain honest against the passing game and Trevor Lawrence at the moment. And good news. The Texans are 31st in blitz rate this week, so we shouldn't have that issue. Now, the only other part of that is Trevor's also really struggled this season against zone defenses. We know Lovey Smith is the king of the cover, too. And so if Trevor is a little bit late in all of that, then that might throw some weirdness into this whole game as well. I mean, yeah, the Texans have fewer than 10 points in six games this season. The Jaguars have averaged nine points per game over their last seven out there. And Trevor Lawrence has zero passing touchdowns in six total games this season. Uh, You mentioned Daryl Bevel taking over the interim head coach. Let's hear from the guy. You got a, a really good chance of finishing with more career wins as an interim coach than Irvin had to head coach. Don't <laughs> Nothing. I won't say anything. Oh, we love him already. The same Allardyce as the NFL, as my buddy Billy M put it on Twitter. Yeah, that's my overdog. We're not doing an underdog of the week for me. That's my overdog. And it's tied with the Benji of the week for James Robinson. All right. Let's go to some fun games, too, in the 1 o'clock window. Washington football team, Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles, nine-and-a-half-point favorites. Total of 44. Hayden, this total, I should say, this spread in terms of the Eagles keeps going further and further in their direction because let's run through the COVID list. Seven Washington defensive linemen on the COVID list right now, including Jonathan Allen, Matt Ioannidis, William Bradley King, Tim Settle, Montez Sweat, who potentially could come off of it ahead of week 15. Washington is one of the teams that is dealing with coronavirus more than any other. But it's not clean on Philly's end either, because as my buddy J.P. Finley told me in his show this morning, it feels like after getting a limited session here on Thursday, a true 50-50 scenario for Jalen Hurts to suit up here on Sunday. Yeah, if I had to guess right now, I would guess he doesn't play and if he does play he would not be the same Jalen Hurts I think that he's healthy enough to play but it's one of those situations where if he's not effective on the ground because of his ankle who would you rather have Jalen Hurts in the pocket or Gardner Minshew in the pocket and I think this coaching staff is hey let's give it another week with Gardner Minshew and I mean you don't split practice reps like you just never see that ever so that's telling me that I think that's probably gonna be Gardner Minshew but they didn't want to like make this a bigger deal um but that's gonna have massive uh, complications because like Dallas Goddard goes a little bit higher in my opinion. I, I think that Devonta Smith has a better chance and this Washington defense is completely obliterated. It's not even just the front seven. They have secondary guys like Cam Curl, uh, Kendall Fuller's uh, on the COVID list too. It's a, yep. it's a bunch of bunch of injuries, but I think that G- the Jalen Hurts news, I think is going to come out on uh, Friday or Saturday. And they literally have no tight ends. Washington does like they're Samis Reyes, uh, Tamaric Hemingway. We know that, Logan Thomas is out for the year as well. Not looking good. Yeah, with the Eagles, we know what their game plan has been and even really was when Gardner Minshew was out there. I mean, they've averaged 210 rushing yards per game since week eight. That's the most in the NFL. In recent weeks, Washington has done an incredible job at stopping the run in that same span of time, allowing just 80 rushing yards per game since week week eight. Um, Now, the running attack will be different, but I think that the Eagles understand it's still their strength because it's their strength with all the blockers that they have out front and with the depth that they have at the position. So while that means we probably won't see as many 
obviously rushing yards for Gardner Minshew as we did Jalen Hurts. That makes me only want to believe in maybe one of those backs going over the 100-yard mark and getting one or two touchdowns here too. I really like Miles Sanders this week. The massive uh, point spread, Washington's injuries, and if Jalen Hurts isn't out there, there's a higher chance Miles Sanders gets some of the goal line work. I'm not concerned about his ankle injury. It seemed like that was not going to be an issue, especially coming off the bye. Uh, Jordan Howard might return, but I think that Miles Sanders, after that huge game, the last couple games he's been out there, I think that he's going to get the rock a lot. So I, I have Miles Sanders comfortably as an RB2, and there was a couple weeks where he was more of an RB3. I think things have changed. And I know we're talking theoretically that Gardner Minshew is starting, but the last time he was out there for Philadelphia, Dallas Goddard had a massive game. Massive. It was a lot of the same stuff that Dallas Goddard was getting with Jalen Hurts. Shorter receptions and just dominating after the catch. That potential was there. And I was actually really excited to see what Devontae Smith was going to do in that game, if you remember. But they just didn't need him. Like they did not need to throw down the field because everything that they were doing, I think it was against the Jets, was throwing underneath and breaking all the tackles. And that was getting them home. And that was getting them points. So on Washington's end, though, I guess we do need to talk about that, that offense. Terry McLaurin is limited in practices with concussion-like symptoms. Uh, and Antonio Gibson had a season-low 41 scrimmage yards in week 14 against the Dallas Cowboys. Um, he's been great during this time. He fumbled in that game. And we know that this current iteration of Washington, they need an early lead to continue to establish the run, pound the rock, control the environment. And if not, Taylor Heineke has really, really struggled to carry them when they, he needs to for a full contest. And that's going to be even more difficult with all of these pass rushers that the Eagles have. Yeah, they just lost their fourth string center. And the yeah. fifth string guy, I'm, did you see this report? He's a part-time NFL player, part-time uh, big-sized model. So he's they, they got a model starting at center. Yeah, plus size. What'd I say? Big sized. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Sorry, guys. Uh, I'm canceled. Uh, but yeah, Taylor Heineke, it's just a situation where there's just not enough talent around him. Uh, hopefully, Terry McLaurin plays. It sounds like he's going through the protocols and he's uh, at least trending in the right direction. But Logan, no Logan Thomas. JD right. McKissick hasn't uh, practiced yet. So it's it's a situation where they're going to try to run the ball uh, against the Eagles. But the Eagles front seven is not one to mess around with. And this offensive line is suddenly not very good. Yeah. John Toth. From Kentucky, I remember him coming out of school. Uh, yeah, when your fifth-string center is facing off against Javon Hargrave and Fletcher Cox, good luck to you. And John Matsko has been one of the best position coaches in the league this year, getting second-stringers, third-stringers ready, and they're playing like one of the best offensive lines this season. Despite all the injuries that they've had, this might be a little too much against one of the better teams in terms of their defensive lines and depth there as well. Dallas Cowboys. New York Giants that stay in the NFC East. Cowboys here are 10 and a half point favorites, total of 44 and a half here. What stood out to me, Hayden, is Saquon Barkley and Devontae Booker basically have equal production this season. I won't pull it up, but it's like one for one, both in scrimmage yards, both in touchdowns, everything. And also on the Giants end, they are going through a rash of COVID cases as well, mostly to the defensive side. Adoree Jackson, cornerback, safety Xavier McKinney, Linebacker Cam Brown, O'Shane Zimenez, and yes, even our guy on the offensive side of the ball, and Kadarius Tony, and that's been since December 13th. When you just picture this game, either Dallas' side or the Giants' side, what springs to mind? We'll start with the Giants because this should be pretty quick. Um, suddenly, the Cowboys' defense is number one in passing EPA. 
uh, per dropback because they have three stud pass rushers. I know Demarcus Lawrence is on the injury report, but they think he's going to be good to go. And Sterling Shepard was out there last week, but he didn't earn that many targets. Mike Glennon's not very good. The offensive line is a disaster. So I think the only player you can start is Saquon Barkley. But Saquon Barkley is like clearly like an RB2-3. The Giants are only projected for 17 points. I think you're probably mm-hmm. overthinking it if you're starting Sterling Shepard, hoping that like that first half of the year comes back. I think that this team is just total dunzo. Uh, and especially against this pass rush, is just like way too intimidating for me. Yeah, I believe John Mara came out this week and said that he believes Joe Judge is going to be one of the next Patriots greats in terms of coaching like Bill Belichick. And so that means they're going to be keeping him for the 2022 season. Uh, this season did not go according to plan at all. Dunzo is the perfect way to explain how they've looked recent weeks. And like the only thing that would give me excitement is Kadarius Tony being out there. And we haven't even gotten that in recent weeks, but people know my feelings. My feelings. The Giants should hire an offensive head coach, trade Daniel Jones, like try to get like Russell Wilson or like something like that, where they have like, hey, we have three starting wide receivers. You're, we're in New York and like go that route, but instead, they're going to go the Joe Judge win sprints. Yes. Love to see it. Dallas side. So we saw Ezekiel Elliott out there. We talked about in the usage show. If you just looked at raw opportunities, it would look like Ezekiel Elliott was having a 50-50 split there with Corey Clement. If you dive into it, more so it was Dallas believing that they had the game in hand after being 24 to nothing at halftime and basically sitting Ezekiel Elliott for the final or for the entire third quarter. And then once it got tight towards the end, they threw Zeke back out there. So I don't think they have any really reservations about giving Zeke a larger workload than what he could have had last week. I don't think he's on a pitch count necessarily. Then on top of that, Hayden, Tony Pollard did get in a limited session, I think, for the first time in the last two weeks. He did. I think that Zeke Elliott, it's been too many weeks in a row where he's clearly a low floor, like RB2. There is still some touchdown equity because the Giant or the Cowboys are projected to score 27 and a half points against the Giants this week. But yeah, it's not the same Zeke Elliott. And I think that you can see in the neutral pass rate column, the Cowboys were pretty much in the middle for most of the year. But in the last four weeks, they've passed the ball way more all of a sudden over the last month. They're fourth in neutral pass rate, third in, in neutral pace. So this is a week to get CeeDee Lamb in there, uh, Amari Cooper, obviously, and even Michael Gallup I'm going to have as a upside wide receiver three. Their usage has been pretty much the same all throughout. And while these running backs are all playing through injuries, I think they're going to pass the ball. Now, the big question is yep. Tyron Smith. Yep. And the EPA per play has dropped considerably. Um, whenever Tyron Smith's out, Dak Prescott's EPA per play and accuracy in general has dropped since his calf injury. So this might not be as efficient, but when I watched them, I didn't really notice anything too drastic where like, oh, this team's just cooked. They're, they've just been kind of unlucky. There's been a couple been bad missing. throws for Pres- Pre- Prescott, but I don't see anything that I'm like worried about long-term here. No, and it helps that it perfectly coincides when the defense is playing out of its mind. I said this before. But truly, the Cowboys are one of one, two, or three teams across the league that have shown that they can win in every single department. Early in the season, passing. A little bit after that, running with both Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. Now, those two players aren't exactly what they were in, let's say, week six. But maybe we can get there. And then now, it's the pass-rushing trio 
of Randy Gregory, Demarcus Lawrence, and then figuring out the spots you want Micah Parsons to attack you and like the shoulders of guards or centers or tackles or wherever. And then you have Trevon Diggs who can make advantageous plays in the back half too. So I firmly believe that they are going to be complete. And if we get a complete performance from them in like the wild card round of the playoffs and they stack those on top of each other, it might sound crazy, but like this is a Super Bowl caliber team. I think with Super Bowl caliber coaching too with with Kellen Moore and what Dan Quinn is doing on the defensive side of the ball, I would just would like to see that complete package before we get to the playoffs rather than that first time. Yeah, this is like seems like they're going to take their medicine, probably not use Zeke as much. If Pollard's back, they're winning by a ton of points here, and they like really just try to get the little wrinkles of the passing game ironed out. There was some cool plays with CeeDee Lamb in the backfield, yep. and not just like those carries. There was uh, some play action off of it. They also tried to do that thing where it's uh, like third and long, CeeDee's back there, and all of a sudden he runs right out of linebacker, and like the linebacker's like, oh, God, what's going to happen here? So uh, th- I think that they're they're going to be fine. Like. There's a couple bad interceptions beyond that. I think that Dak Prescott's good to go. Yeah. Next up, Titans Steelers. Titans are one point favorites here. A total of 41 and a half. Come on, NFL. Come on. Uh, naming the Steelers in TJ Watt practiced with his groin injury on a limited basis. That defense to me goes as he goes. And that defense, we talked about with them and the Ravens, are nowhere close to what we perceive Pittsburgh to be like. They've allowed 24.8 points per game this season. That's most for that franchise since 1988, the year I was freaking born. I mean, this is not the same team as we've seen from them, but I can also say that about the Tennessee Titans over these last few weeks. And while they still have a 24% chance of getting the number one seed in the AFC, and while they're still the number two seed right now, the Titans, I have more questions about them than I ever had. And last week's win, didn't give me a lot of them. Yeah, the Steelers just their defense is just getting healthy all of a sudden. Highsmith's missed time, Hayden's missed time, uh, Watts missed time. They're all should be back this week. And like that unit's just so much better. And the Titans, even last week, it was just not the same. Like they can run the ball a little bit, but whenever they try to pass protect, it is a big time issue. They're 28th in adjusted sack rate. So I think that this game's a legitimately a toss-up. Um, be, unless like Julio eventually just needs like prove that he's actually healthy like enough already with these limited contests after every single game Rabel is in in the press conference it's like talking weird about Julio Jones like every single week something it I bet it's Rabel's like Julio get your ass out and practice please like enough already he's probably just like hates like the style of Julio Jones for whatever reason but yeah ultimately there's just not enough production in the past game right now and I don't trust Tannehill with this offensive line against a suddenly healthier Steelers defense. So are you starting in this crazy week, Deontay Foreman? Because he almost certainly is in line for 15 opportunities. I think like there's some point you can start him. I think I have him like the RB 20s range. I think your team's mostly effed if you're starting Deontay Foreman this week. Uh, But he is clearly the number one back. Um, I have in the blueprint, the graph of it. He was the one playing uh, early and often. All right. Quick conversation on the Steelers end. Again, we know all these pieces. We talk about them every single week. It's Najee Harris, who's an accumulator. Deontay Johnson, who's easily getting the most targets. And then went after the catch. Hopefully, Chase Claypool makes good on his five contested catches per game as the primary read when they see a single high coverage. And quickly, let me throw out Pat Fryermuth's name. Because again, according to NFL research, 
has as many receiving touchdowns, seven, as all other rookie tight ends combined. Just picturing this for the future, when they get a better quarterback as a red zone target, Pat Fryermuth should be mentioned as a top 10, top seven option at the wasteland that is the tight end position. Yeah, he's a beast. And we thought he was good coming out. I gave him a, a first round grade um, this offseason. I think he can play. And I think this is a week for them to use him because the Titans on defense, they're, they can kind of rush the passer. Their, their front line's pretty good, but their secondary is not very good. Right. And uh, teams facing the Titans have the third highest neutral pass rate. So they're choosing to pass the ball on the Titans. And that's followed through with the Titans ranking 29th against fantasy quarterbacks, uh, dead last against fantasy receivers. So Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, and uh, Pat Fryermuth. This is like a, a, one of those weeks where you can kind of circle and be like, yep, there's a chance for plenty of upside here. Yeah. My main concern is, we talked about it in previous weeks, where Ben, when given a little bit of time, there is a little bit of hope that he'll go off his primary to his secondary and his tertiary read. I'm not sure if that's going to be the opportunity here because Harold Landry's playing absurd football. They are better at rushing the passer than they are in the back half. It's just about those individual players making good on it. Can Deontay break tackles closer to the line of scrimmage? Can Chase Claypool again win his one-on-one situation? Uh, there's time to figure it out, but I don't know. It's just... It's it's really weird if you're just like looking at the charts, how good the Titans are against fantasy running backs versus quarterbacks and wide receivers. Like you really rarely see the split that drastic. So I think it's going to be like a lot of like okay, uh, one step, three step drops, just throw it to Deontay immediately and let them go crazy here. Next up, Arizona Cardinals, Detroit Lions. We'll go through this one quickly because the Cardinals are twelve and a half point favorites. A total of forty seven. And a half. The Cardinals did place center Rodney Harrison on the reserve COVID list. That's important for them in terms of their running game. But here we have the Lions. The Lions suck. The Lions also just placed TJ Hawkinson in injury reserve, will not have most likely DeAndre Swift in this game. And so, Hayden, the player that is taking advantage of that over the last few weeks is Amon Ross St. Brown as a shorter receiver. Yeah, he's been a top 30 uh, in the fantasy usage now because the last two weeks he's been peppered with targets. And I think it's here to stay. No Swift, no Hawkinson. Uh, we know that Jared Goff's not like trying to hold on the ball and take deep shots all the time. And Amon Ross St. Brown, if you listen to the usage show, uh, you know that he's not just a slot receiver now. That's how he started the season. But since this is a lost season, they're seeing what he can do on the perimeter. That means that he's coming or he's not coming off the field at all. And he's just probably much better than Josh Reynolds and the rest of these guys. So when they're down by 14 points at halftime, like how is Amon Ross St. Brown not going to get it? So I have him ranked way higher than the consensus rankings this week. And that is not just because I'm a biased uh, Trojan fan. Correct me if I'm wrong. That is the only line that we really care about at this moment. And I buried the lead here. So let's talk about the Arizona Cardinals and what has happened with DeAndre Hopkins, who, depending on who's reporting it, and actually I'll probably you know, gravitate towards Josina Anderson at this point, who mentioned it's like an isolated MCL or ligament in his knee. And while Rap Sheet and other people mentioned potentially deep into the playoffs – DeAndre Hopkins coming back, it kind of more sounds like a two to four month injury here for DeAndre Hopkins. So let's focus more just on this week. 
because of what he did last year, 160 targets, I think it's been viewed that DeAndre Hopkins can is like this number one elite wide receiver and things funneled to him. That's not the case anymore. Like Kyler Murray sprays it around the field. His vision is so much better this year than it was last year. So to me, it's just more who is filling in for DeAndre Hopkins. And I think the rest of the offense is going to follow through just like it has been in the last few Kyler starts. I think it's a great point. Uh, and the numbers back this up with DeAndre Hopkins on the field. Kyler Murray averages 0.31 EPA per drop back without DeAndre that's 0.21. So it's a little bit of a drop off, but I think like if this was Devonte Adams missing, that's a much bigger deal to Aaron Rodgers. but Kyler doesn't really need that number one. Cause he's a playmaker himself. He can scramble and make up for it. If the team isn't as efficient just by purely running the ball more, but also like AJ green's been good enough. Christian Kirk's been good enough. Rondell Moore, they can scheme touches to in comes chase Edmonds, most likely back this week as a pass catcher. I think they're going to be totally fine. I think that it's AJ Green is the one to me that's going to be the biggest beneficiary here just because I think when whenever it's an isolated route on the perimeter, that's not really where Christian Kirk wins. And like if you look at the splits last year, Christian Kirk was not an efficient player. He's actually one of the least efficient players um, among the wide receivers last year. I think because he was playing out of position, kind of like the conversations that we've had with Visca. To me, he's a vertical slot player. He's not an outside player. So I think AJ Green's going to be the one that I'm going to be ranking pretty uh, aggressively. And like, obviously the Lions 31st in passing EPA 30th in adjusted sack rate. Like this is just wheels up for AJ Green. And I know that to many, this passing chart might look the same for every quarterback out there, but it's more defined for the Cardinals because DeAndre Hopkins lines up on the left side, AJ Green lines up on the right side, and they rarely veer off of that. So seeing Kyler throw it across the yard all over the place means he's not just targeting one area and one player specifically. Our friend Adam Levitan did mention that Rondale Moore got a boost up to 6.6 targets per game when DeAndre Hopkins was out earlier this season. To me, I made the point that that also coincided with Chase Edmonds being out. And in that week 11 contest, six of 11 of Rondale Moore's targets were backfield depth. It was basically a replacement for Chase Edmonds running game situations without handing it off to, to Rondale Moore. So to me, it's going to be less of a potential boom of huge, massive volume and outcome unless they do move, as you mentioned, as a possibility. Christian Kirk, the outside, and Rondale Moore in the interior. I think more so we see Antoine Wesley on the outside and Christian Kirk stay in the slot. Yeah, don't be shocked when Antoine Wesley has more routes than Rondo Moore. Like, I don't think that's going to happen, but I, I think that's certainly possible. Yeah. And the reason why I created the fantasy usage model is because one target does not equal one target. A target behind the ba- behind the line of scrimmage is not as valuable as a target 20 yards downfield over the middle. A target at the 50-yard line is not the same as a target, a jump ball or a slant route at the four-yard line, ones that A.J. Green gets. So... Um, I think like even if it's they all get seven targets, I think that AJ Green's targets are just going to be worth more just the way that they use them. So I have AJ Green and Christian Kirk ranked right next to each other, both in the upside wide receiver three mix. I might even move them higher than the wide receiver three mix because the Cardinals are the only team projected for over 30. And as we go through the show, most teams are projected for like 20 points. Like there's not that many teams projected for 27, 28 points. It's like either 20 points or 29 points. And I'm going to go. Keep betting on the Cardinals here. 
Lions defense ranks bottom five in points per game. Total yards per game allowed, 380. And opposing red zone touchdown percentage, 75%. Teams are scoring a touchdown on 75% of their red zone trips against the Detroit Lions. And safety Jalen Elliott became the 10th Lions player, sixth member of the secondary to land on the COVID list this week too. So like, who's covering these wide receivers? Who's co- Zach Ertz could have a big game too. That's a name we're not bringing up enough as well. Do we know the status, quick before we move on, of James Conner? I know he got banged up a little bit towards the end of that game. He unfortunately has not practiced on Wednesday or Thursday. I think it's a high ankle sprain. I think he's going to not play this week. I'm not going to be surprised if he missed multiple weeks. This is a very similar injury as the one that Chase Edmonds just had. I think that Chase Edmonds is going to be back and into a pretty big role, a bigger role than he's ever had. And with the team total this high, I'm not going to rank him as high as I would where James Conner was being ranked, but this could be a top 10 running back this week. Yep. Uh, we'll be following the news. I'm going to guess James Conner's week to week, especially because like they're in the playoffs already. Like yep. get, just get James Conner healthy, give him the time that he needs, especially they should take care of business against the Lions, anyways. That is one of those names in Chase Edmonds that in pick'em lines and DFS tournament plays that might fly under the radar just a little bit because we haven't seen him for multiple weeks. But if James Conner is out, is inactive in this game, a massive, massive workload is in line because I bet they prefer a 90% Chase Edmonds versus a 100% Eno Benjamin. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. You know so I don't think he's going to get like the, the biggest role ever, but six targets, 12 carries, and a goal line carry is like... That's all you need here. couple more one o'clock games. Panthers, Bills, Buffalo, 10 and a half point favorites here at home. Total of 44 and a half. On the Bills end, Emmanuel Sanders did not practice on Wednesday or Thursday, I believe, with a knee issue. So that means Gabriel Davis is most likely going to enter the starting lineup as an outside receiver. And everything else basically is going to stay the same. Now, I also want to bring up that over the last, I don't know, Eight quarters. Yeah. It's been a roller coaster for Josh Allen. Now, granted, four of those were in dire weather situations against the New England Patriots. But even against the Bucs, like the first half was not good. Second half was incredible. And now you get a Panthers defense, which can rust the passer with really good athletes. But can they hold up against these wide receivers? With their cornerback, Stefan Gilmore has now become a full-time player, and this is a low-key revenge game against his former club. That's true. This is a strength versus strength matchup. The Panthers' run or pass defense has been great, but the Bills just are going to keep passing. They don't really care what the matchup is. They had a 93% neutral pass rate last week. That is pretty nuts. That's one of the highest of the year. So um, Josh Allen has a turf toe injury. I think that's going to prevent him from scrambling a little bit, but if it's just drop back passing, maybe we see a little bit more dinking and dunking to Cole Beasley. Someone like that pops up. I can see Stefan Diggs um, having a bigger game where he just keeps getting peppered with underneath targets here. Uh, I'm not that concerned of the matchup. Luckily, even though this is in Buffalo, there's not supposed to be much wind, not supposed to be rain. It's low thirties, but this is one of those rare December games in Buffalo where I'm not concerned about the weather. So it's just really just, comes down to how healthy is Josh Allen, and he's been limited this this week, so I think he's going to be all right. The reason I brought up the pass rush in the secondary is because we have seen the Panthers get gashed in run defense, and that's been their weakest area. 
It's also where the Bills don't want to attack you at all. It's why we like the Patriots so much more in that contest because the weather the weather was dictating that. Uh, anything else on the Bills side before we move on? Like, where might you? Because Gabriel Davis, you know, we had a lot of conversations about him heading into this year, and I think he's going to be a really popular play this week because he's attached to Josh Allen. They love to throw the football. Um, we, I think a lot of our conversations centered around the moves that they made and how he finished his rookie season. It led us to Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders were so much better values, even though Gabriel Davis was being drafted 10 spots ahead of him in July and August. And that proved to be true. But now he's in the starting lineup and the minimal opportunities he's gotten all year long. He's actually been a, a fairly productive player. Yeah, two totally different conversations. When we were pessimistic on Gabe Davis, he was being drafted multiple rounds ahead of Emmanuel Sanders. We were lot. just playing the contract game. Um, but now, like, Gabe Davis is productive when he's on the field. Like, there's no question. Like, it doesn't matter how he does it. If it's broken plays, it's jump balls. If we don't think that he creates much separation, it doesn't matter. When he's on the field, he is playable. So I have Cole Beasley and Gabe Davis in this, like, boom, bust, flex play i'm gonna go back and look at the matchups a little bit more to kind of figure out which one i'm gonna rank higher but gabe davis is like got to pick him up if you're looking for a, a bench spot certainly in play if you're like if you have a wide receiver that goes on the covid list tomorrow like gabe davis is certainly one of those players that you can throw into your starting lineup bill's running backs have combined for 223 carries this season only the jaguars running backs who urban meyer sent to the woodshed uh, have fewer carries this year you know yeah, yikes! They don't matter. They do not matter. Panthers time. I mean, I don't want to talk about this offense. Matt Rule came out to this week and said, "Yeah, we're still going to rotate PJ Walker and Cam Newton because it's the situation that makes sense and what we find ourselves in." Then Cam Newton and PJ Walker both came out in press conferences and said, "Yeah, we don't like being rotated." Like it throws us off our game. It's really difficult once you go in there for a series and then you expect everything to jumpstart once you're in there. And then Matt Rule also elected to bring Sam Darnold back at some point this season too from injury reserve. It's just a total mess. And while we love the individual talent and the one-handed grabs that he makes along the sideline that DJ Moore brings the table, it's a really tricky spot to start him against a Bills defense that is still number one against the pass despite Trey White not being there for the last two games. Carolina's only projected for 17 points. That's right there at the very, very bottom of the list. Cam Newton did not play like it was like the four minute offense. And I think like that's where like the the playbook is different. Like they're not, they're calling a very unique set of plays. And that's where they went to PJ Walker. And I would not be surprised if that's the rotation here. I moved Cam Newton down. I know there's the Konami code and all that stuff. I just don't like the projected points. I don't like this rotation. Uh, Cam Newton is dead last in completion percentage over expected, like minus 24% for Cam Newton in that category, which is by far the worst, like double, like as bad as Zach Wilson's been. That's what Cam Newton's been uh, this year. So it's just, it's just not a good spot. DJ Moore left the very last couple plays last week with a hamstring injury. He's been Sounds limited. Like he is going to play. Yeah. He's going to play through it, but like, you don't love that. And Robbie Anderson had a, a, a spike, but you can't go chasing that. I, is there even a single like DJ Moore is kind of in play, but I mean the running backs aren't because that's a rotation. The the wide receivers is a rotation. Cam Cam Newton's in a rotation. Like this is an offense basically where it's DJ Moore and not a whole lot a whole lot else. This is me being bad at my job. I, I I can't even talk about it. Like Chuba Hubbard, 
running back insurance? Absolutely not. Like, if you don't think Cam Newton's going to be successful, Chio Hover's not going to be successful. And Amir Abdullah played more snaps than him last week. That was one piece of information that we wanted because we know Joe Brady was putting him more and more in the ballgame when they were passing because he's so much of a better receiver than than Chuba is. But sounds like that's going to be the way moving forward, too. It's just irrelevant. They are. Irrelevant, sir. All right. Last 1 o'clock game. Let's do it. Let's close out this e- Yuck window, the Jets and the Dolphins. Well, the Dolphins are 10-point favorites here. So as soon as you see that, a Jets defense who I think, in fact, gave me one of those nice, pretty little green dots earlier in the year when we took the overs on Jalen Waddles, pick them lines. Now Jalen Waddle is out of this game on the COVID list, as is great young safety Javon Holland. So let's diagram it here. If the production is not there for Jalen Waddle, who's having a heck of a rookie season in this catch-and-throw RPO speed-out offense, who does it go to in Miami's offense? The biggest beneficiaries would be Mike Kosicki, who's playing in the slot, and Albert Wilson, who's also been playing in the slot, is going to have a little bit bigger of a role. And then I think Devontae Parker just earns more targets, period. And I moved Devontae Parker up into the upside wide receiver two mix. I had Jalen Waddle as like, wide receiver 11 before the COVID news. I have Parker like wide receiver 19. The Dolphins are still projected for 25 points here at home against the worst pass defense by a quarter mile. So I I, want to be starting Gasicki as a top six, top seven fantasy tight end and Devontae Parker. And then Tua, even though the Jalen Waddle stuff hurts, it's just hard because like the Dolphins just projected to score like four, five, six, seven, eight more points Right. than most of the other offenses in the league. So I still have him in like the upside quarterback two mix as well. Interesting situation with Miami's backfield too. Miles Gaskin, Salvin Ahmed, Philip Lindsay all out of here on the COVID list as of right now. We know the Jets are being run all over. I mean, they are spiraling out of control right now on both so sides. So bad. Um, I can't pivot over to anyone that they put out there on that running game because – I don't know. It's we've talked so much about how Miami's offensive line can't move anyone off the ball, but then the Jets defensive line is also so bad. Their linebacker group is also so bad that to me, as we just outlined, the offense is going to flow through Mike Gasicki, and I'm gonna look heavily all of his pick'em lines this week, and then Tua getting the ball out to everyone else over and over and over again. I will be ranking whoever's starting in this backfield as a top 24 running back. I'm going to jam that in. Going back to your point, though, last time in week 11 when the Dolphins won 24-17 against the Jets, Miles Gaskin had 23 carries for 89 yards, which is, like, classic. So we can both be right. and It can be inefficient. You hate it. But, like, I think the production's still going to be there. I just can't tell you which running back that's going to be. Malcolm Brown can come back. Miles Gaskin can come back from the COVID list. Jared Dokes is now not on that list. So it could be Duke Johnson. It's just too early to tell. That's why we have the Sunday show. Yeah, Jets have allowed 30 and a half points per game, a 70.6 opponent completion percentage over these last few weeks. Okay, Jets offense, and then we'll move on to the four o'clock games. Zach Wilson, man, it's not getting any better. I was watching that game against the Saints. There was a simple third and two, an angle route out of the backfield from Ty Johnson, a beautifully clean pocket. Some call it a BYU pocket that Zach Wilson had back there. And he waits a full second and a half between when Ty Johnson is making his break versus a linebacker that's three yards behind him, a second and a half for him to be over directly in the middle of his 
vision and then throws it behind him for an incomplete pass on third down. We saw two quarterbacks still run this offense better than Zach Wilson is doing out there. I really think it's a Zach Wilson problem. Not closing the book in his career, but Mike LaFleur is doing good things right now in terms of creating open receivers despite not having Corey Davis or Elijah Moore and his quarterbacks not doing enough with it. And how's like what's going to change this week? It's only going to get worse this week because the amoeba fronts and all the pressure packages that the Dolphins have, and even right. when they're not blitzing, it's just man-to-man defense. And like, what is is Keelan Cole going to win his one-on-one matchup this week? Like, nah, this is just a beyond joke. The only thing that you can sell me on in fantasy is if Michael Carter returns. But I was trying to find his status. He's eligible to come off. We don't know if he actually will. If he's out there, I'd like to play him. But he's not going to be catching as many checkdowns as uh, the white guy was thrown to the running backs anyway. So it's like they're projected for 16 points. Like, what do you want me to do? I think I would take the under. Before you jump to the four o'clock window, just a couple things. One, if you are here right now, thanks for joining us. More than ever, you want to join us on Sunday morning for our starts. It show that starts at 10 a.m. with Animal. Hayden and I will jump on around 11. He'll jump on 1130. And then we'll go for uh, 30 minutes or an hour updating you on all the COVID news, lineup news, taking your questions as well. So we appreciate you liking and subscribing as we're on the hunt for 10,000 subs. Okay, a couple pick'em lines posted for Sunday while we were chatting here, Hayden. The one that jumps out to me, a game we already talked about because you're all in the one o'clock window right now. Chase Claypool, 59 and a half receiving yards, which he's done twice in the last two weeks. Yeah, if they don't bench him, <laughs> I, I I think that's like right in line. I have I have Claypool as like a upside boom bust wide receiver two three. So that's like yeah. that makes sense to me. A couple more: Deontay Foreman at fifty eight and a half rushing yards, Julio Jones at fifty four and a half, Michael Pittman at fifty six and a half receiving yards. Yeah, they expect they expect Bill Belichick to defend him really really well. And Jonathan Taylor's line set at only only ninety three and a half rushing yards. Again, if you've never tried pick them. This might be the perfect way and weekend to do it with so many fringe players going up there and it being so unpredictable on who's getting the production. Go and try it out. Deposit anything on Underdog, on the app, on desktop. 10 bucks, 20 bucks. We will match it if it's your first time depositing. Use promo code the show when you do that so you get that double your deposit match. All right. Four o'clock time. Hayden, some good games here. In this window, and we'll go first to the Packers and the Ravens. Packers here favored by five and a half. I did an overdog earlier. This is my cover dog because you look at the Ravens, Lamar Jackson, iffy to play in this game, ankle sprain. By all reading the tea leaves, it certainly sounds like Lamar is not going to play, and he's not the only one. Safety Chuck Clark also on the reserve COVID list. And he's a defensive signal caller. Hollywood Brown, Nick Boyle, Calais Campbell, Tyree Phillips, Alejandro Villanueva, more and more and more didn't practice here on Thursday either. This is already a beat up team, beat up depth chart. And with the Packers getting only giving five and a half points, sign me up. Big same. Like I, I do not understand this one. Uh, left guard and left tackle for the Ravens haven't practiced this week. It's Ben Powers and Villanueva, and I am with you. I don't think Lamar Jackson's going to play. Huntley's fine, but like, there's no like 
real time upside. And even like the Ravens, even with like Chuck Clark and those other guys that you listed off, they were still 28th in adjusted sack rate, 23rd in passing EPA on defense. Like the only concern that you can possibly have is both of these teams are bottom five in neutral pace. But that's usually because Aaron Rodgers has thrown three touchdowns and then they slowed the game down with, with AJ Dillon. And if that's if that's the case, you're fine. Like sign me up for the, the Devontae Adams. I think MVS is definitely in play. This is like a classic MVS game, backups, man coverage, blitz heavy, and then uh, MVS catches a six CR touchdown. So he's in the flex play. Alan Lazard's been a little bit more productive because no Tanya, no Randall Cobb. So yeah, if you got a Packer, you can basically start him. Two things on the Ravens that we've talked about. One, they're awful at tackling in the secondary right now, and they're giving up explosive plays week after week after week. It was like that even when Marlon Humphrey was in there, and it's even more so like that now with that cornerback group getting diced up. Also, their running game isn't what we thought it was of the last two years either. And so the Packers have a big absence in Kenny Clark, who's also on the COVID list, one of the best nose tackles in the game. But I'm going to ask the question, does that even matter here? Like to me, that doesn't really move the needle because while Tyler Huntley and Lamar Jackson have somewhat similar skill sets and being incredible athletes running the ball, this is not the same running game that the Ravens have put out there and what jumps to mind when we think about, you know, the purple and black. Yeah, big thing that added just before we went live, Aaron Jones was uh, limited yesterday and then today didn't practice with an illness. We've seen a couple other players go from illness to COVID list immediately. So we'll see. We'll have more information. I have Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon currently, if they both play as like RB20, RB21 right next to each other because they were basically rotating. And AJ Dillon got two of the three inside the five touches uh, right near halftime. So I don't have a big difference, especially if we think that the Packers are going to spank the Ravens here, that like Dillon could easily. Uh, run out the clock and end up matching Aaron Jones anyways. And even since Aaron Jones returned for that knee injury in week 12, AJ Dillon has out carried him 35 to 15 and out rushed him 140 to 58 in that same span of time. One final thought to close, close this. Well, two, I'm fascinated to see what Rashad Bateman looks like. And if he gets run immediately with the starters, because if even in this dynamic, he doesn't Holy cow. And I'm a big Ravens fan, big Ravens fan. Um, This is interesting. This stood out to me. In six career games versus bottom three pass defenses, and again, six is not that big of a sample size, Devontae Adams has only averaged 55 receiving yards per game. And obviously Baltimore is one of the worst. They're ranked 31st right now in the NFL in terms of pass defense. Is that just weirdness, small sample? Because that doesn't line up too much where we would think in that environment, Devontae Adams would be incredible. Yeah, that's just noise to me. I don't believe in <laughs> that small of a sample. I can't. I, I don't even know what I would even say, even if I did believe it, like bench Devontae. I, I haven't ranked no, no, no. Uh, second second overall. I know you're talking about pick and all that stuff, but... I'm talking yeah. about pick them. I'm talking about DFS, big all this that stuff. people yeah. might be entering. So like, if we don't see a huge game from Devontae, that might be something to make the seventh. Of that, De- Devontae does have splits with Aaron Jones and vice versa. When Aaron Jones isn't out there, uh, his production goes up because all those bubble screens and tunnel screens end up going even more to Devontae Adams. So that's something to consider too. I feel for the Ravens again. So many of these teams have changed 
the course of their season throughout this year. And I mean, how the Ravens opened it with Lamar playing so well and how they might lose the entire AFC North at this point. I mean, each of their remaining opponents have a 500 record or better. It's Green Bay, it's Cincinnati, it's the Rams and Pittsburgh to close the season with what they're dealing with right now. I mean, they have 10 fewer points per game in the last five, 100 fewer yards in that same span of time, 40 fewer rushing yards. Hey, I want to count them out yet. It's a little too soon. They still have like a 78% chance, according to some yeah. models, to make it because they know. have like tiebreakers and all that. So I know it's, it's bad, but I still think that like just the way that they're positioned right now, that they're going to be in the mix if Lamar can come back, maybe not this week, but at least the week after that. Yeah, I hate to say it, but their season almost was over before it started. Like without Ronnie Stanley, with J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards going down, with Rashad Bateman missing so so much time. Yeah, that sucked. Okay, this is gonna be a fun one. I mean, again, just five and a half of the Packers are giving. All right, Seahawks, Rams, another five and a half game here. Last time I checked, at the very least, Rams are one of these teams dealing with a whole bunch of COVID cases. Some of them happened a while ago, like. Darrell Henderson was December 11th. Rob Havenstein was December 13th. Jalen Ramsey, we know, was also December 13th. Recently, Odell Beckham, two tight ends, not named Tyler Higby because Tyler Higby was a false positive, is now back on the field. Also in this game, Tyler Lockett was placed in the COVID list a couple hours ago prior to this. And we've seen he and Russell Wilson, especially last week against the Houston Texans, really link up back again on those deep shots. It's been inches, sometimes feet, sometimes yards for the connection of Russell Wilson to DK Metcalf. Hayden, if we believe in the trickle-down effect of production, maybe, oh, maybe, DK Metcalf, a little trust here, might go a long way. I haven't inside the top 10. Like, kill me. <laughs> I haven't inside the top 10. What do you What do you want me to do? It's, it's not even just trickle-down. It's not trickle-down economics, which is, for the record, it's like one of the most BS things ever. Uh but also, uh, it's regression. And that's something that's not BS. Is He's so due. He's beyond due. I wish I didn't waste my Benji of the week last week on him, or otherwise I would have went back to the well here. Uh, not concerned about the matchup uh, as much. The Rams defense has not been as good. And the Rams play with so much pace and pass rate that even if the defense was good, there's still going to be plenty of garbage time production for him. They've been using him in the screen game, slants in the red zone, all that type of stuff is there for DK Metcalf. And... Uh, the other person's Rashad Penny and Rashad Penny, I think deserves to be in this list with Alex Collins out. Um, I'm not sure if Adrian Peterson's going to go, um, come back, but I think that they want to get Rashad Penny going a little bit. I'm going to have him ranked in the twenties mix just because they're going to be trailing points. And like some of that production was pretty fluky, but I'm pretty confident he's going to be the starter and they want to have like a little feel good story in a pretty much otherwise lost cost season. And they're still in the playoff hunt somehow. And we outlined in the usage show how a lot of the production that Rashad Penny got was wide open spaces out in the open field, well blocked as well. But it's a lot of awful run fits by the Texans. But he was also, you know, creating some on his own. And maybe he can do that against the Rams. But the Rams are, you know, riding high. But when there's so many cases, I mean, over 10 right now that they have, it's not out of the question that something else happens to them prior to the four o'clock window on Sunday with more and more and more big players who knows what happens with Darrell Henderson. If he plays in this game, if he doesn't, but what stands out to me here is with Rob Havenstein on the COVID list with the other two tight ends, not named Tyler Higby. I do wonder how much 
of the heavy personnel the Rams can go into, what's what's made them successful kind of over the last two weeks with a rushing attack and something that, you know, has been a point for them to make uh, in running the ball again with Sony Michelle. The good news is that the Seahawks are 31st and adjusted sack rate. They can't rush the passer. So I would be more concerned if it was a worse matchup but at home. Um, I think that there's not going to be that much of a difference, even without Odell Beckham. I have Van Jefferson ranked way higher than I think a lot of people would guess. I was like wide receiver 14 or something like that, because mm. the, just the how much usage that these Rams wide receivers get is out of control. And that's just because they're number one in pace, uh, top 10 in, in neutral pass rate every single week. And this matchup is just really clean here and they're projected for 25 points. So um, the big question is, what do we do with Sony Michelle? Is Sony Michelle a top five, top 10 running back, or is he more of the 20th ranked running back? And I think it's too early to tell. I'm going to follow news first, but my instinct is Henderson's back, but Sony's the RB one and he's not going to have full bell cow. It's going to be a little bit of rotation, but I would, I can see this being like 70, 30, in favor of Sony Michelle and the Daryl Henderson has like a couple of explosive plays here and there. Hopefully you all tuned into the underdog playoff best ball stream that we did with Jack settlement yesterday. It's on the podcast feed, whatever platform you use. It's also on the YouTube channel down below. The one that stands out to me is Daryl Henderson going like 14 spots ahead of Sony Michelle right now. We've outlined it multiple times on multiple shows, how to give a jump start to this offense, some consistency to it. Sony Michelle is making people miss in tighter spaces and winning on contact more than, you know, the chunk gains, the explosive plays that Daryl Henderson brings to the table. So from that perspective, maybe we see it this week if, if Henderson's out there. So something to keep in mind. Go and check out that stream. That is still a game. I am still wrapping my head around and having no clue how to attack playoff best ball. Now, next two weeks more so in the future. It was so much fun to learn on the fly, review things, and then try out a second draft and feel like I learned nothing once again. But uh, I enjoyed that one yesterday. Best fantasy game, period. Like I I know half of you guys are not going to probably play this game. You guys are out of your mind. You are truly missing out. The galaxy braining you're doing in these NFL playoffs best ball is amazing. It's like nothing. You cannot beat it. Go listen to the other stream. Other people have content for it. It is just nothing's better than that. Just trying to figure it out again on 30 second clocks as you're organizing the three teams you want to stack or if you want to, you know, invest in wild card teams, first round teams, second round. Oh, my gosh. It was incredible. Good stuff. Go try it out. Okay. Bengals Broncos. Another one of these games, Hayden, where your eye perks up and says, hmm, is the right team favored? Because here the Broncos are favored by two and a half. A 44 total. I'm going to make the case why I think they are. It's because one, Vic Fangio and his defense, the creator, two high shells, two deep safeties, keep everything in front of you, will prevent the big plays, which is the real difference maker for what the Bengals put out there. And why T. Higgins has gone over 100 yards in three straight games. Why Jamar Chase was so successful early in the year and now is kind of few and far between with those opportunities in terms of making good on them with his efficiency. But then also what the Broncos have morphed into offensively. Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, minimized possessions, grind out victories, grind out yards, and they have two really, really good backs in order to follow through with that style of game. 
I actually like Denver's side because massive injury news. Riley Reef, the Bengals' right tackle, is not going to play. He's going to be out for a couple weeks here. Uh, their splits are massive. Whenever he's not on the field, the Bengals' sack rate is up from 7.8% to 12%. Their pressure rate is up 8.3%. Their run blocking is worse. He's a really big deal. And like the interior of the Bengals' offensive line has kind of been a little bit of a rotation here recently in this Broncos team, man, I don't know what it is, but their defense is still just really hanging in there. Patrick Sertain yep. looks like an absolute freak. And I'm worried about this Bengals offensive line. It's in Denver. And I think that they have enough pieces. Tim Patrick's still available. Um, I don't know. I like what the Broncos have been doing recently. And I think that this Bengals defense, a lot of their metrics are still overblown because of how soft their schedule has been. I know that we think about this game with a bunch of skill position player superstars, uh, I mean, so many wide receivers, running backs in the Broncos, namely Javante Williams, that all of you love on the Bengals end. Again, wide receivers, Joe Mixon at the running back spot. But I could see this minimizing a bunch of possessions. Like maybe each team gets six, seven throughout the entire game. And the under for 44 stands out to me too. Yeah, there you go. Your data, the models, Back up the eyes. The offensive pace for both are very, very low. 30th and 29th in the NFL. Yeah, and it's been worse because the Bengals, since their bye week, remember we were excited like, hey, they're starting to pass the ball like Joe Burrow's feeling better. Well, since the bye, they've had um, a below average neutral pass rate in all four of their games. So super frustrating stuff from the Bengals play calling. I have... um, like T Higgins and Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon, all of those guys ranked lower because the Bengals are projected for 20.75 points. Like that is not very much. So I had to move all those guys down a little bit, especially with the Riley brief news. Yeah. Final game of the four o'clock window. We have the Falcons and the 49ers Niners are nine and a half point favorites here. A total of 45 and a half Debo Samuel. The last few weeks, three straight, has been held to one reception and under 30 yards. What do we make of this 49ers team? Because I don't see as much injury news on them as we've gotten throughout the rest of the league. Eli Mitchell status, Jeff Wilson status, Debo Samuel status, because one slide puzzle piece kind of changes the whole picture because it's all rearranged to incorporate what you know Kyle Shanahan is doing so well right now. Yeah, I think that's the news is is Eli Mitchell going to be back and he's been like on the practice field, but limited. He's got like a concussion issues. Also, there's a knee issue. So I have no idea what a status is, but I think if you have Debo, you would rather have Eli Mitchell in. So Debo Samuel can stop playing running back. Um, One of these or two of these pass catchers is going to have a huge game because the 49ers projected for 28 points this week against the Falcons at home. Weather should be totally fine in the Falcons defense outside of Terrell and Grady Jarrett is completely toast. Yep. So uh, it's just figuring out which one that's going to be. George Kittle obviously has been shredding. Um, but yeah, the Debo Samuel, that's a very tough ranking because everything else, like game environment, all that stuff is good. Matchups, fine. It's just like, is he going to be used out wide receiver or running back? So I kind of played it in the middle. I'm like wide receiver 12 this week, kind of like a boom bust wide receiver one, which is like the stupidest label. I I see that written all the time. Boom, bust, sense. wide receiver one. What does that even mean? If you're a wide receiver one, you're locked into every single lineup. Every yes. single one. So there's yes. no bust associated with it. That makes no sense to me. Zero. I hate it. 
if Eli plays to me, he's a top 10 running back this week because the Falcons defensive line, their defensive front can just be run over. Run the problem. Over. I agree. The problem is like, if it's Jeff Wilson, what do you do with that? Because Jeff Not Wilson's expected half PPR points. I haven't like what, like running back like 28 or something like that for Jeff Wilson. If he plays because he loses snaps, like he loses all the valuable snaps and he never gets a target and he's just quite frankly not that good question can you pull up how many points the 49ers are expected to because i think some teams in the first round of their playoffs might have to pivot off jalen hurts as we talked about might have to pivot off lamar jackson is jimmy garoppolo a bad one to pivot to where home favorite with his team expected to score 27 and a half that equation when we look at spot starters you know streamers at the quarterback position checks every single one of those boxes I know, and that's why I have him as my quarterback 14, which is definitely higher than consensus. I might drop this a couple spots, but like Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Taysom Hill, Justin Fields, all of them have injury concerns, low totals and stuff. So all of those like dual threat Konami code quarterbacks just do not project that well this week. And then like you get into like, okay, Joe Burrow projected for 20 points or Jimmy G projected for 28 points. Like, that's where the math gets just tricky. So I think he's like firmly in this like quarterback two range. And I think I'm gonna have him ranked a little bit higher than consensus because of the reasons you just laid out. Yeah. I mean, and the way George Kittle is playing right now, like short receptions, take him to the house and just give me those points there for Jimmy. Look what week 15 has done. The craziest thing is it's turned me into a Jimmy Garoppolo fan. Who knew that that was possible? Who knew that was possible? Primetime games before we get there, everyone smash that subscribe and like button down below. We move on. Sunday night football, Saints Bucks, Tampa Bay favored by 11, total of 46 and a half. Saints won the game earlier this year between these two. Jameis Winston was actually the game he got hurt. If you remember, and Trevor Simeon came in. Weird, somewhat fluky game there. But Tom Brady is 6-0 and with 22 passing touchdowns and three interceptions at home this season. Drastically different when on the road, four and three, 14 passing touchdowns and seven interceptions went away from Tampa. I just don't see how this doesn't go in their direction. There's really nothing. I mean, everything is so clear cut here on both sides. We know the pieces. We know what's going to happen, I believe. And 11 is a huge number. I'm not saying bet that at all, but some of those pick them lines on the Bucks end, Chris Godwin tunnel screens. It's going to be a lot of fun. It will be when they matched up the, uh, Saints played a lot of man coverage. When they played man coverage against these Bucks, the Bucks averaged 13.4 yards per attempt because just how are you defending Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and Gronk and all? It's like it's and that just was back too when much. the Saints were playing a lot better defense too. It, yeah, it's true. And the Bucks right now are out of control with their neutral pass pass rates, clearly first in the NFL over the last month. So yeah, I, I really like the Bucks passing game. We have massive actually injury news was not expecting this. Leonard Fournette does not practice because of an ankle injury the last two oh. days. Giovanni Bernard's on injured reserve. If you have Ronald Jones, log off the stream. Don't even leave a like. Don't subscribe to the channel. Go pick up Ronald Jones because if Ronald Jones is starting and Leonard Fournette's out, he's going to be a top 10 running back. The Bucks are projected for way too many points and he would get targets because they, I mean, the only player that the Bucks team doesn't like uh, less than Ronald Jones is Keyshawn Vaughn. So Ronald Jones is going to get his ass out there, and he's going to be a top 10 running back for me if Fournette misses. I'm glad I didn't have to say those words. You did it for the both of us. Going down the, the Titanic, you might be. Uh, 
I mentioned how well Brady has played at home. The Bucs are one of two teams in NFL history to win their first six home games of the season by 30-plus points in each one. Wow. That's wild. Isn't that crazy? That was last time that happened, the 2007 Patriots, led by Tom Brady. Um, yeah, again, the Saints defense was just playing pretty good football at the time. They are not playing pretty good football anymore. Anymore. I could totally see this game for Tom, especially how he thought he played really poorly in the second half against the Buffalo Bills to just go on that first drive, especially if Lenny's out and throw the ball 13 times. And then maybe the next drive only run it twice. You know, like this could be the game where, where Tom puts the ball in his hands and is like, I'm going to spread all over the yard. I'm going to get back in the flow because I was down on my performance in week 14. I've officially confused the chat with my Rojo stance. This is assuming Fournette is out. If Fournette is in, you're not playing Ronald Jones. But by default, you are starting Ronald Jones in fantasy. The Bucs are projected for the second most points this week. And everyone else is hurt. Like He would get so many carries. He'd be on the field for like 70% of the snaps or something like that. Saints end. Taysom was a roller coaster last week. Watch that one. It's kind of like a power quarterback play where they were getting him on power runs and then using a lot of motion and sweeps and then getting someone open based on action like tight ends and working across the formation. I brought up that Saints win in week eight. No one on the Saints ran for more than 61 yards. No one on the Saints had more than 38 receiving yards. So again, they won that contest, but they didn't really win any individual matchups. One player didn't go off at all. And I think that's really notable here as Tampa Bay has gotten a little healthier over the last few weeks, even though they started to deal once again with cornerback injuries. That doesn't yeah, matter. Second, the Saints. That doesn't yeah, matter. They don't pass, yeah, they don't pass the ball anyways. Like, this really just comes down to, could, like, how much do we trust the Konami code? And, like, do matchups matter? Like, does the Bucks front seven being that good only affect, like, the running back? Or is that they're also going to be good against Taysom Hill scrambling all that stuff? And I think that this is not a good matchup for Taysom Hill just because of how athletic these linebackers are and like Vita Vea and all that stuff. And even worse news for the Saints. I mean, they can't catch a break right now. Teron Armstead and Ryan Ramchek have not practiced in on Monday or Wednesday or Thursday. It's tough. I don't know what to do with Taysom Hill. Um, I have him on that quarterback one, two border, but the Saints are projected for 18 points. So that's like putting a lot of faith in the Konami code, um, which I like to do, but this is like really pushing that to the limits this week. And even in the game, it was his first start, right? Was it Thursday or was primetime game? He threw three interceptions and really didn't get to that 20-plus, you know, fancy point mark until it's garbage time. Like, sure, he's going to get garbage time, but that's like when he was scoring his touchdowns, and he should get it here based on the spread. But I hate relying on that. I mean, in the first round of your playoffs, God, that's so tough. But you're going to have to, depending on if who you had it, like Lamar or Jalen or so on and so forth. So it's a weird one, man. That's a weird one. Anything else you want to say about this game before we move on to Monday Night Football? Nope. Okay. Let's close it out. Minnesota Vikings, Chicago Bears. I wrote it down as three and a half. It has now moved on over to five and a half on the Vikings end with a total of 44 here. A couple of reasons why. All three coordinators are out for the Chicago Bears. OC, DC, special teams. They must all just like live in the same house, you know? Now, what that gives us, and I don't know if we want to start with Chicago's offense, but I'm doing it because that's where all the news is. 
Allen Robinson, COVID list. And you get Matt Nagy calling plays. And Matt Nagy calling plays drastically diminished at the time Justin Fields and his rushing. So back then, we were all asking, wanting, you know, the rushing production to pop up, the playmaking ability to pop up for Justin Fields. And correct me if I'm wrong, Hayne, it didn't really happen until Bill Lazor took over. And if Matt Nagy's calling plays here, it's a bad situation here for, for Justin Fields against Mike Zimmer. I looked at the, at this this week, and most of Fields' rushing is scrambles. It's not even; it hasn't been that much design stuff. And you think about it, like you don't really see that much QB power and zone read and all that stuff. You don't really don't see that. A lot of his stuff, and like eight out of his nine carries, like last week for example, was scrambling. And I really wanted this to be the Justin Fields week, just because the Vikings' defense is so depleted. Uh, they're actually projected for a little bit more points than usual, up at twenty instead of like fifteen. But like the Allen Robinson stuff, all the coordinators, like all of a sudden I have like very bad feelings about this. So he's he's going to be a boom bust quarterback too. I don't trust him through the air, um, even against a Vikings defense that's been really bad. It's just like I don't know. There's a lot of lot of weird stuff going on in Chicago right, right now, and and that's not just that. Like we know for sure that Allen Robinson, along the defensive side, Eddie Jackson is on the COVID list. There are six more players who are out on Thursday with an illness, which we know in 24 hours can turn into the COVID list. It has happened with Darrell Henderson and a few other players. Khalil Herbert, Cole Komet, David Montgomery, Jakeem Grant, James Daniels, Tevin Jenkins. I mean, when Jason Peters left, then you had to move Tevin Jenkins from right tackle to left tackle. I think also their swing tackle is on the COVID list as well. Previously was put on there. This is, and look, we've mentioned it multiple times. The Vikings really struggle to rush the passer right now because they're without their top two pass rushers. But Mike Zimmer against rookie quarterbacks, that's a, that's a tough formula to have. Yeah, they've been doing that thing where they just like have six or seven players at the line of scrimmage and they all look like they're about to go. And like the quarterbacks like trying to set the protections, like tight ends have to stay in, running backs have to stay in. And it's a lot for a rookie quarterback to sort out. So I'm sure Zimmer's very excited to have this game, even though no Daniel Hunter still, no Everson Griffin. So it's there's not a lot of talent, but like it's just so well coached on the Vikings usually. Of all quarterbacks with a minimum of 10 starts in their career, Kirk Cousins has the worst record on Monday Night Football. Would you like to guess what his record is? He's had 10 games on Monday Night Football in his career. Straight up? Like he's got yep. to go at two, two and eight? One and nine. We just say hey, he's one and one in his last one. Right? Or that was Thursday night football. That was whatever Thursday. it was. One and nine on Monday night football. So that brings us to the Vikings offense. We talked about in the usage show, KJ Osborne, how he's now become an outside wide receiver with Adam Thielen still sidelined here. We're rolling with Justin Jefferson. Does that make you want to also roll with KJ Osborne? Because as we talked about, a lot of deep crossing routes. They try to force that one safety to decide, and then Kirk Cousins is unleashing a ball to whichever one the safety is not running towards. Yeah, the Bears have just been pathetic on defense, third worst since Khalil Mack has been on season-ending IR. They're uh, free safety. Now he's on the COVID list. There could be more COVID players, so I think the Vikings probably are just going to absolutely roll here on offense. Uh, great note from the chat. Completely agree. Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, if you can get players into your flex on Sunday night football and Monday night football, you absolutely have to do it. Because if you're in a situation where 
Justin Jefferson gets COVID on Monday night football, you want to have as many options as possible. You should have always been doing this, but especially right now with all the COVID injuries, the players that have the game latest in the week, they go to your flex spot. You have to be doing this right now. All right. I think that does it for this. I mean, Alexander Madison's on the COVID list, so that just makes us want to play Dalvin Cook even, even more. Before we get out of here, let's do a little new wrinkle. Anything you want to say about this Thursday night football game? Since we're here at the end of the show, maybe we predict it right for the people listening here on the podcast feed. We appreciate you as well. Kansas City three-point favorites here on the road against the Chargers. Tons of notes here in this game. Chris Jones is absent on the defensive line for the Chiefs. Meanwhile, Rashawn Slater is absent for the Chargers at left tackle. To me, that is the biggest absence potentially of the week because the Chargers have been shifting and giving help to the right side and the pressure when Justin Herbert faces, it does diminish to me the ceiling. And maybe this is just my eyes saying this, but over the last few weeks, we know that they've improved a lot in early downs. They've improved a lot in explosive plays down the field. The Chiefs defense has exponentially gotten better over the last handful of weeks. And I know without their best disruptor on the interior, that's going to be more difficult. But I'm a little nervous without one of the best left tackles in the league that they can isolate. Really, their only lone offensive line that they were able to, to trust in isolation blocks all season long. Yeah, the Chargers offensive line is going to be a major issue. Three starters out, including the tackles. But... Eckler should be available. Um, I don't fully trust Eckler, but I'm telling you, Eckler is active. You have to be starting him. Like you can't roll the dice. Um, the reports seem okay with Eckler. This is a very important game for seeding um, purposes. So I'm sure they're going to give Eckler the Beaver tranquilizer and get him out there. Uh, Keenan should have a big, big game. I think in particular, Huge. if the tackles is an issue and they're going to have to do a lot of quick game with him, especially if Eckler is a little hobbled. Um, so I really like the the Keenan Allen stuff. The Chiefs, though, in the secondary also have some COVID issues. I think like Traverius Ward, I think Fenton has injuries. Legarius Sneed, yeah, there's like personal issues, COVID issues, regular injury issues in the Chiefs secondary. So I don't think that the Chiefs Willie Gay at linebacker defense is as good as it's going to be like compared to like the last couple of weeks. So I actually like uh, this game for for the Chargers side. I think that if I was picking just on point spread, I would go with the Chargers at home and then just historically – just whatever the Chargers have been doing against Mahomes, it's worked. Like the Mahomes' worst, like if you just look at splits historically, worst games are against the Chargers, and then that's not even bringing in the too high stuff. So very close game. Love both teams in general. This should be a good one. But I like the Keenan Allen stuff the best. That would be my my number one angle. Yeah, looking at the Keenan Allen pick of mine, I believe he had a line around six and a half receptions, seventy seven and a half receiving yards. Uh, ones to watch here and go play those right now. If you're checking us out on YouTube, if you're live with us right now, go ahead. Uh, do they have the pick them line? This will be a little, a little alpha for the people out there. I like um, Jalen Guyton versus Josh Palmer, Jalen Guyton in the rival section there. When, when Keenan Allen has been in the lineup and Mike Williams, Josh Palmer doesn't play that often. That's like been Jalen Guyton. And since, uh, Keenan's back and Mike Williams is, is healthy. I liked the Jalen Guyton line. I also like um, the Herbert over on the rushing yards. I think it's 16 and a half. That's about his average. But if they're trailing quarterback scramble more and without his tackles, they could be, he could scramble more and the, yeah. the chiefs linebackers are just slow in general. So those are my two favorites. 
on on your Guyton, he's giving eight and a half yards to to Josh Palmer. So that's something to keep in mind. And the Herbert line has moved to 19 and a half in terms of his rushing Damn yards. It. So quickly, the, also, Mike Williams' role did change last week. I've seen a couple of shows say it really didn't. His A dot dropped to two and a half yards last week in comparison to being 11 all season long. So they were getting him on quicker slants, quicker receptions. I expect it to go back to what it was before that. And single that high. I looked, looked back to the Chiefs, played single high. I think the second highest amount of snaps the Chargers have seen that this year. And like that's where it's like one on one Mike Williams jump ball against a backup corner. Like you can yeah. see that t- here too. I'm just nervous because there have been some occasions offensive line injuries overloading on the right side where Justin Herbert has faced like 19 pressures in games, 17 pressures, 16. It's kind of this cutoff where he's success like drops and it's like 11 or 12 pressures and keeping it below that would really, really help him out here. But again, it's a recipe without Slater for it, uh, for it to go to shit. That's a good way of ending the show. One rock slim Ming Han scampers, Gavin, Jamie, alpha, all of you out there, thanks for being here. Before you get out of here, do us a massive favor. Like and subscribe down below. Get your James Robinsons in the Pick'em Lobby in your lineup. Because yes, that is our Benji of the week for both of us. Hopefully we hit on that one. Pretty good record on those so far this season. We'll see everyone on Sunday morning for our starts at show. Lots of news to recap at that point because there's going to be more chaos this weekend. Not even to mention the NFL changing their protocols probably ahead of week 16. So we'll see you all then. For Hayden, I am Josh. Up the bell, everyone. Talk to you all soon. See ya.